We have big playoff implications to talk about on this episode and much more news on and off the diamond. You don't want to miss this episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. We are back again, episode number 182 of the Indie Ball Report podcast. I'm Nick, he's Will, and we have a lot to discuss this week with the playoff pursuit in just about every league and much more than that as well. Yeah, I mean, so so much news this week, and, and the season's winding down. So, uh, I mean, we're 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 getting we're almost at playoff time. I mean, when we're talking next week, I mean, the the playoffs, and uh, we're gonna have at least some playoff baseball to talk about, and that's uh that's that's really exciting. Maybe not in the Atlantic League that goes another two weeks in their regular season, but uh, but certainly very exciting that we'll be able to that we're very very close to uh. We're very close to playoff baseball, and that's certainly a great thing. Absolutely, and, and quite literally every league, because I've totally forgot that the Pioneer League's playoffs are starting very soon as well. I mean, we they're pretty much all locked up there uh, as well to get underway, but uh, they're not really the primary folks at today's episode. We'll probably try to squeak them in at the end, but what's more pressing is, and starting in the Frontier League, as always, because that league is extremely entertaining when it comes to playoffs, we have some more clarity on it, I guess you could say. We have some teams we could start to kind of rule out for playoff contention. We have possibly a matchup already decided. Maybe by the time you're listening to this, seeing this, it's Friday morning, and you'll hear this Saturday morning. So uh, I guess we'll dive into the Frontier League to get going. We'll talk about the West first because the East is going to require a lot of unjumbling. And we had our classic uh, Sussex County Tri-City hijinks returning uh, on Thursday night. But uh, before we start talking about that, we do have to talk about the West. We know the Wild Things have the division locked up. They are, at least as of time of recording, one win away from hitting 60 wins on the season, which would almost certainly uh, put them in contention for the best record in the league. Though Capitals are at 61 wins and just clinched the East, which should tell you all you need to know that it took them until they hit 60 wins to clinch the division, how good the East is. But in the West, we know the wild things are in at the front. They have a chance to get the best record. They'll need some help for that, but that's really not very important. We also have end of season awards to talk about as well. I just remembered I got that email too, so I'll have to pull that up in a minute. But Playoff picture takes precedence over awards. The uh, Boomers clinch their playoff spot as well. And all that is left to be decided is with a game and a half separating the Otters and the Crushers and three games left to play, or four games, I guess, is at the time that we're, we're talking right now. Will the Otters hold on to that final spot after losing four in a row? Or will a very hot Crushers team, eight and two in their last ten, they bounce back after a loss, getting a win uh, last night, Thursday night, will they be able to kind of slip in and steal that final playoff spot as we go into the final weekend of the season? To be honest with you, this is a, this is a race that probably should be over by now. Evansville ran into the, the Wild Things this past week, and the Wild Things, despite the fact they don't really have anything to play for except the best record in the league right now, still steamrolled the competition. Yeah. Um, I think that... Uh, I think Evansville will still close it out. I think uh, them playing Florence to end the season, all they have to do is, I mean, as long as they win 
I assume two out of three, they should be fine. Like they, then they, that's all locked up at that point. Uh, now, if they lose two out of three, maybe it gets a little dicey depending on what happens uh, with the Lake Erie Crushers. But Lake Erie has been, I mean, they they have played really good baseball down the stretch uh, as well. I mean, the fact that Lake Erie swept the Wild Things uh, last weekend uh, is is a testament to them and a big reason why that they're in this spot right now. Uh, you know, they they're playing at Gateway to end the season, which uh, is certainly a winnable series for them. But I would think that uh, even though the Otters, the the fact that they were slumping, uh, they've lost four straight at this point. But I think the I think them playing Florence at the end of the season, especially at home, I think they should they'll probably take care of business. But uh, it's certainly a, a race that has been made much more interesting than it. it I guess it should be just yeah. because uh, this is one we thought was over for a little bit, but Lake Erie's charge at the end and Evansville uh, slumping. But I think that I think Evansville taking on the y'alls. I think they'll win two out of three. I think they'll close this out uh, and put this away without much drama. Well, in theory, they probably wouldn't even need to win two out of three. If they win one and then Lake Erie loses one, that would probably be right. enough there, right? So. They, yeah. they don't even really need to do that. And Lake Erie has a significantly more, eh, yeah, I guess I'd call it significantly more difficult uh, opponent in Gateway. I mean, that's a, a five-game difference between the two teams record-wise. So, you know, I would say that's uh, significant enough for what we're doing here. So, it, well, I think it is possible. I do agree with you. I, I think Evansville should be able to, cl- to close this out. I think for them, their bigger concern is seeing if they can't find the game and a half up on Schaumburg to go from uh, playing in a wild card game to hosting a wild card game. That would be the ideal situation for them. Although uh, with Joliet on the horizon here uh, for the Boomers, maybe it's possible, maybe, but I still, even even with that, I, I do think it's going to be Schaumburg hosting this and Evansville uh, going to be playing Schaumburg to start the postseason there. So I, I would agree with that. I think it, it's more of a discussion to have is, you know, will Evansville be able to knock off Schaumburg here? You have a defending champion versus a team that honestly has had their highs and lows and peaks and valleys throughout the year. Um, overall, isn't a bad team, but certainly isn't the, the kind of premier team that I think we may have thought them to be going into the year. Yeah, I think it's been uh, a bit disappointing in that sense. I mean, at the end of the day, though, it's it's one game, and yeah. anything can happen uh, in, in these one-game class, regardless of who's hosting. Um, now, as far as uh, as far as if that is indeed the matchup, and I guess we'll assume that, uh, for sake of example, that the standings hold, and yeah. Schaumburg ends up being the one that uh, that hosts. I mean, Schaumburg's been an excellent home team. Uh, I think that, uh, I also think that, you know, their, their pitching has been quite good all season. I, I would think that they're going to be the ones to pull this out, but hey, it's, it's a one, it's one game. It, really anything can happen. And I mean, as well as, as well as the East as well. And wh- whoever ends up hosting, I mean, we still don't really know yet. Uh, but I mean, in one game, anything can happen. And, um, uh, I, I, w- I would pick Schomburg, uh, to win the game, but, one game is is such a toss-up yeah and it's not even like we have uh one team being better than the other as of late they're both fairly similar as of late but uh i guess the losing streak that the otters are on is 
kind of the, the difference maker there. But I would say, and I do agree, I think Sean Burke probably takes it. I think we get a rematch of, uh, you know, the final last year of Washington and Schaumburg. And at that point, you know, we'll get into more deeper playoff discussion next week, I guess, when we actually have, you know, the playoffs to work off of. But as far as uh, uh, Evansville and Schaumburg goes, I would say probably Schaumburg's my pick as of right now, although they're pretty fairly even. If Lake Erie were to somehow manage to slide in and steal a playoff spot, then I may be more inclined to say, oh, well, you know, maybe I take the crushers in that because they're just, they're a hotter team. And I think at this point in the year, more like momentum, how good are you as of late matters a lot more. I think that's just kind of a mental focus and a mental set when you start doing really well, you start playing a lot better, you start believing a bit more. And I I would just kind of give the edge then to the team that's more on that path than uh, the one that isn't. But overall, I'd say it's uh, it's pretty well said. I think for the West at that point, but uh, yeah, and that's and that's something that Schaumburg knows really well, right? Getting hot at the right time. Oh yeah, uh, literally how they won the championship last year because they yeah. were not expected to get where they were, but they they got red hot and they ended up taking it home. So that's uh, if Lake Erie were to make it, they would. I think they would make it interesting as well. Absolutely, there. And so on that note, we'll look at the East now, real quick, and Quebec locked up the division this week they seem pretty much set here they have a tough ottawa team that's still in the middle of fighting for their playoff life and at the same point that they're fighting for their playoff life they're trying to get in to the uh to host that wild card spot that's something that's still very much on the table as they have a similar record to the boulders we'll talk about that in a second but the capitals locked up the division they are in first 60 win team this year in the league 61 wins, 32 losses. They are pretty much set here to be the top record in the league for whatever that may be. They need one more win, and then they will have 62, which would be the most that the wild things could get to. I kind of think that they're going to do a little bit better than that. But uh, when you look further down the chain, the two other playoff teams at the moment are the Boulders, are the Titans. Boulders in second, uh, Titans in third because of the tiebreaker at the moment. Uh, but both have the same 54 and 38 record. Boulders winners of nine in a row coming into Friday night's games. Uh, Titans winners of seven in a row coming into Friday night's games. Uh, Boulders have a three rivers. Titans, as I just mentioned a moment ago, have the Capitals. So it is a very much back and forth battle here. And at this point, we know the Tri City's been out for a while. New Jersey's been out for a while. Empire State's been out since day one. And now it looks like Tri-City and Sussex County could be in that group very shortly. Miners need to find a game and a half win this last series against the Jackals. The Valley Cats, they have to find a lot to go right. They essentially need to uh, sweep Empire State this week, which is probably the most doable thing that can happen. But they're also going to need the Boulders to drop their series, all games in that series. They're going to need the Titans to drop all the games in their series. They're going to need the Miners to drop, I believe it was two of their, two of the games in their series as well. 
Uh, but that there's an awful lot that needs to go right for them. And for a brief moment, it looked like they may have a shot as uh, coming into last night's game where we had some shenanigans. The Ballycats took a double hair the day before. They were looking to get the, the sweep in the Myers, which if for nothing else would have just been a, a morale boost for that team. But then last night they dropped the game one nothing under some controversy. Yeah, for sure. And I think when I was asked for my prediction, I forget if it was last week or uh, the prior week. Okay, behind Quebec, who are the two teams? And I said Sussex County and Tri-City. And it looks like I'm wrong on both. But yeah. how about the Boulders? And I mean, the fact that, I mean, the New York Boulders really surprised us all. I mean, they are yeah. just scalding, scalding hot. Uh, and at this point, I, I would feel comfortable saying that they're pretty much in. Uh, also, just because they're playing at Three Rivers to end it. Um, I mean, but the one thing you can say about uh, the Boulders is, I mean, their their lineup has caught absolute fire at the perfect time. I mean, they had, not to mention, that, of course, their undefeated homestand. Part of that, of course, playing Empire State. But at the same time, uh, I mean, putting up six runs, 11 runs, 12 runs against the Valley Cats in probably what ended up being their biggest series of the year, uh, yeah. which was sweeping Tri-City at home. Uh, that put Tri-City in, in the position that they are now. Uh, I mean, the Boulders' offense is just red hot, and I think that, and I know Quebec is 61-32, and 32 and they're, they're such a great team, but uh, when, when it comes down to the playoffs, of course, as we mentioned in the other division, a lot of it is about who's getting hot at the right time, and right now, I think it's the Boulders, and that's not to say the Titans aren't hot themselves, because they are, but the Boulders lineup is just on an absolute rampage right now. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. Even, like, if you look at Quebec, they're not doing poorly either. They've won three in a row and are 7-3 and three in their last 10, so they're not, you know, any less hot either. It's just, you look at the top three, or the three teams in the playoffs, I guess, 7-3, and 9-1, and 8-2. Everyone's getting hot when they need to, and it feels like an Ottawa team that we were kind of down on, and I agreed with you when we were talking about this a couple weeks back, was, oh, Tri-Cities basically, and they're doing too well right now. And then they just kind of fell apart. You know, four and six in their last bit. You take out the double header win, it doesn't get much better looking for them. They dropped a very, very, very important series, not just dropped, but got swept by New York. So that... If you want to point to one thing that kind of killed their season, you could probably point to that. I mean, the slow start didn't help them either, but they looked like they were going to be able to overcome it until that. And, you know, it's it's disappointing for the Valley Cats, again, to what will be eliminated on the last weekend of the season. That will never not be disappointing. But, again, they kind of did the same thing they did last year, which was waited too long to get hot. And, you know, we're going to talk about last night's thing in a second here. But, you know, at the end of the day, too, I understand part of the frustration is you you knew last night that it was pure smoking if you got them time. You know, it, your, your season's on the line here. And even if you were to win it, it doesn't put you in a great position. Like, yeah, you'll be able to leapfrog Sussex County. You'll be in the four hole. You'll have a way. You'll have a path really right but you'll still need some help and at the end of the day they didn't get that and it it is frustrating it's disappointing but they kind of put themselves in this boat as far as Sussex County is concerned you want to believe they have more of a chance than they really do but I mean I get 
Ottawa has a very, very, very tough opponent here. But I think we discussed a week or so back, and I think, Will, you were the one that brought it up, was will Quebec be going all in that last series? They already have everything they need to play for locked up here. Unless they're just playing to go ahead and secure the best record in the league, they can kind of take it easy. You can play your starters, you know, like, two or three innings a game, get guys in that don't really pitch a lot of innings, let them go at it, let some bench guys get in there, just kind of load manage for the last weekend of the year, then have an extra couple days break because of that wild card game, and then figure out where the team bus is going. Is it going to be going and staying in Canada, or is it going to be heading down to the Tri-State? You know, that's really what it's going to be, uh, be wondering. So maybe that makes it easier for the Titans the boulders, I have very little doubt, are going to be able to handle Three Rivers with ease. I mean, Three Rivers is the team they are. They're they're roughly 500, slightly below 500. Maybe they're not going to sweep them. I'm not sure we're going to see this win streak, you know, get that far in double digits. I think it could hit 10 or 11, maybe not up to 12 or more. But, you know, it seems like they're poised. It seems like they have it under control. And if that's the case... In or that's the case for both teams. I mean, it doesn't really seem like there's a path for the minors, even if you do have a Jackal team that's probably one of the weaker teams in the league this year. Yeah, I think that, I think just the minors, I don't, I'm not discounting the minors in the sense of the team that they are and how I think they'll do in the series against the Jackals. I just don't think they'll get the help that they need just because, uh, and I, I think it's a, of course, could put Quebec go all out. Sure. They could, yeah. they could, uh, they could still go all out. Uh, and it would, there's certainly justification for that just because, um, you, you want to, you want to stay sharp, especially when you're going to have some time off before your first playoff series starts, a few days off before that series starts. So um, I think that's that's going to be the thing to think about uh, for Quebec um, and their coaching staff uh, when planning. I would think they're probably going to take it easy, and that's not to say that they're going to just totally nail this in and Ottawa's going to sweep them, but I think that uh, I think at the same time, um, I, couldn't, I don't see Quebec going all out, and I think that uh, which obviously eliminates Tri City from yeah. that. But I think we are all in agreement that Tri City yeah, is done. Yeah, they may need uh, too much to go right for them to have a I, real I, shot. Right, and I think so. And I, I just think Sussex is not going to get the help uh, that they need, uh, really, just to to leapfrog a team like Ottawa and leapfrog a team like uh, the Boulders, which uh, I don't see either of those uh, either of those things happening because of those circumstances and how and how hard is Quebec going to play this weekend i there's too many questions but i think that um i mean man what a run by the boulders what a run by the titans and and you mentioned the whole thing about tri-city and uh and you mentioned that well this is the second this is the second uh year in a row that their season has ended in roughly the same way um and i think it's interesting and because you know they they have the talent on their roster Certainly. Yeah. That's never been a question for them, The really, the last two years. Honestly, they have to do a lot of soul-searching, I think, this offseason to figure out what is why or why are they getting off to these such bad starts. Um, because, honestly, with, with Incavillier as your manager uh, and 
and the roster and the talent that they have, like no nobody else in the Frontier League has has a power hitter the the caliber of Dennis Phipps. Yeah. Like you just don't. So uh, who's like uh, who's like a thirty six, thirty seven year old veteran uh, who's just who just mashes baseballs. Like there's no way that that Valley Cat should have not made the playoffs yet as a Frontier League team. Yeah. So they're they're going to need to do some soul searching. Uh, this offseason, and it's not, it's not, and it's not easy because these other teams in the division are so good. Uh, if they're in the West, this is a much different conversation. Oh, yeah. But, um, but I, I think Tri Cities, they're, they're a very interesting case because they should not be, uh, I, it's very weird that they're going home, uh, for a second straight, uh, a second straight year on the last weekend of the year. Yeah, I mean, like, there's a, probably a genuine argument that there should be four or five playoff teams coming from the East and, like, one, maybe two from the West. There's probably a genuine case to be made there. But with Tri-City, they managed to have a fantastic bullpen, really. Or at the very least, you have one of the best relievers in the league on your team. You have the league MVP on your team. You have Dennis Phipps on your team. You have a lot of pieces that really work well. And it just never worked out because they had that slow start. And I mean, post All-Star break, they came out and they were on just fire. They were doing fantastic through all of June for them, or all of July, my mistake, for pretty much the whole time. And even coming into August, they were looking pretty solid. And now it just, it became too much too late and they just hit a, a bump in the road at the worst possible time. And at the time they hit it, everybody else got hot and took it from them. But yeah, between it kind of ending the same way, there's a lot of parallels even. I know a lot of, uh, Valley Cat fans are going to point and go, even the Sussex stuff is the same here. And, uh, we've been alluding to it for a couple minutes now. So I'll just get into that real quick before talking about the awards and everything. But, um, yeah, so basically last night, we had another incident here. Connor Dand was on the mound for the Miners uh, twice this year. He's gotten in trouble for using uh, foreign substance on baseballs and whatnot. In, the, in a critical sixth inning, uh, Pete and Cavillia wanted another test, see if you know there was anything on the ball, because apparently there was a smell coming off of the baseballs. I don't know. It, apparently it was. Uh, they checked him, and nothing resulted from it. Mitt was clean, didn't have anything on him, ball was fine. Got Dennis Phipps, I believe it was, to strike out. Got Zunica to fly out after Zunica got underneath it. Visibly frustrated, he got underneath it as well. And then it looked like there's some life with two outs. McCusker hits a shot over Juwan Harris's head after Harris misplays the ball, but recovers well, gets a solid relay throw in, and then the relay from, uh, well, I guess the relay man to third, uh, was just in time. It was a very close play. It was one that, quite frankly, could go either way. And I'd say the umpire made the right call. It was very close. And from the one video, which will be linked in the show notes of this whole incident, uh, it's very kind of, it's tough to make it out. I think the third baseman gets the tag in on his hand or on his arm before it hits the bag. But it's, it's extremely close. You know, like I said, it could genuinely be a go either way on it type call and uh that end of the inning dan yelled something over at the uh valley cat dugout they took offense benches cleared uh joe gannon the pitching coach for the valley cats had to be held back by their first base coach 
who happens to be Jay Bell, the former major leaguer, who's Brantley Bell's father. And, uh, yeah, then the bullpens came up, but they did their usual bullpen thing of jogging and then do nothing. Uh, and then eventually order was restored. End result wound up being a one nothing game. And, uh, yeah, it kind of the end of the Valley Cat season and keeping the minor season on life support, uh, for right now. So that was the incident that we keep talking about and Valley Cat fans are understandably a bit annoyed. And, uh, then we have some Pete and Cavillia quotes. We'll toss the article, which they're in, in the show notes. So you can look that up here, but, uh, another chapter in the rivalry between these two teams. Yeah. And it's, it's very fun, uh, for the fans, certainly, uh, to see Sussex County and Tri-City, they, I mean, something like this seems to happen, uh, it seems to happen a lot. It's happened both seasons, especially in this last series as well. Um, it's just, uh, the drama and, and first time we've seen a whole thing about foreign substances either. Yeah. So, uh, in, in this rivalry. So, um, and the tensions are always high between the two. I was always, it's funny. I was always thinking like, all right, if the Sussex, if one of Sussex or Tri-City doesn't make the playoffs, they're going to be playing for each other. They're going to be playing for the spot, uh, in that second to last series. Uh, and probably is not going to end up working like that, but yeah. I mean, the rivalry is still fantastic. Uh, there's genuine, genuine dislike on, on both sides. It's not just like, uh, the rivalry in name only, uh, but that, that you see so often really in sports now, but I mean, there's genuine dislike between these two, uh, and just, you know, another, another, another chapter, another chapter in that series, but uh, unfortunately we're not going to see either of them in the playoffs. I would have loved to see a playoff matchup between the two, but, uh, that will, that the wait for that will wait on for another year. Exactly. I mean, like the next best thing to a playoff series is a series that kind of determines one team's fate or the other, you know? So, I mean, like that, we got the second best thing, I suppose, but yeah, you go into it and like you start looking at some of the quotes here. And I mean, you got Pete saying things like, we got to win every game. We know we had to win out when we got home. We could have won Thursday's game, but I have felt a lot better about the situation, but we need a little help now. Just talking about their whole thing. Pete was the one who mentioned that you, a couple of the baseballs, you could smell it. Uh, the umpires could smell it. All we could do is check them. I tried to get them to check the catcher because he's the only other person that handles the baseball, but there was no doubt there was something on the baseball. We could smell it. You could feel it. You know, kind of back and forth here. Um, and in the article, it says exactly what uh, or what people think Dan had said, I should say. And, I mean, you go back and forth here. But, Pete, basically, the sense you get from it, uh, he just kind of seems like he's done with this BS. He's like, they are going to do what they're going to do. The Valley Cat fans really seem to have a vendetta against Bobby Jones, i got to be honest. Um, yeah. So, it, it is just back and forth. It is disappointing we're not getting a playoff series between the two of them. Uh, but yeah, it, I do wonder in all of this here, cause like I, I do want to kind of address the back and forth there, cause it always seems like there's some sort of new back and forth between these teams, you know? Like, I respect Pete for just not really feeding into it anymore, but at the same time, if you're at the Valley Cats team, you kind of know what the miners are about at this point, or at least what you think they're about. How these games usually go, you kind of know. So you gotta be ready for that. And I, I get it's different, 
you know, when someone's doing something small, like kind of standing outside with a coach's box or something like that, that's money that's just in your head. It's a lot different versus, you know, if someone's messing with the baseball, if they're stealing signs, something that's got a tangible effect on the game. I, I understand they're different. But at the same time, they check the guy, there's nothing on the ball. Like, you could smell something great, but if there's nothing on the ball when the umpire checks it, you just got to get over it. You got to deal with it and go, well, even if they're using it, we got to figure it out, right? It was just a pitcher's duel back and forth. That happens, you know? So, on one hand, I'm looking at it like that, but at the same time, like, this always seems to happen when Sussex County's involved. And it's the same pitcher that's gotten suspended back in June for this as well. So, like... If it happened multiple times, which we know it did, it's reasonable to expect it to happen a third time. And that kind of goes back to how that clubhouse is being managed, where it's like, you're clearly okay with it. Now, maybe it's one of those things where it's like, okay, everybody's kind of trying to get away with it. So some people just get away with it better than others. And if that's the case, that's the case. But you would think at a certain point, you kind of got to tell them to knock it off. Because if you got a six and then a 12... What's going to be next? I don't think it's going to wind up being 18. I think it's going to be a lot more than that. And even if it is 18, then congratulations, you're sitting out over a third of the year. So, like, at what point do you kind of got to put your foot down and stop it? I know. I think I, I think you're right because this is at this at this point. I think it just is what it is uh, with with Sussex County and and all of this and. Uh, I think I think where Incavilia was wrong is when he was saying, kind of saying after the game, like, "Oh, like we know there was stuff on the ball." Well, no, there wasn't. Like the umpires checked the ball, and they they checked the baseball. They did their foreign substance check, check, and you were wrong. So yeah. I'm not saying he's explicitly wrong for asking for it or yeah. what or whatever. Like you have a right to do whatever, but at the same time, I mean. You were wrong. Yeah, once they so, check it, they check it. I mean, like, like you said, you can call for it. You're well within your rights to, like, ask them to check if you think something's up. I mean, it's your job to. If you think there's something up and you're not doing anything about it, I mean, like, that's you're doing a poor job. But once it's been checked, it's been checked. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So uh, it, this was definitely an interesting one. Uh, but I think that, you know, it's... I, I do think Incavilia almost. I, I think he says he's taking the high road at some points, but he doesn't actually. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like he he says like, "Oh, I'm staying out of this but uh, If I we were to throw my two cents in, it would be something but, like. But we know there. Were, I'm not going to say anything about it. But yeah, like I'm over it. Probably. But, yeah. They were uh, probably cheating, but I'm over it. You're not over it, beef. Yeah, it's, it's okay like, to not be over it, but yeah, I, I like, think that. <laughs> like, if you think they're cheating, you have legitimate beef then. I mean, like, then own it. But, yeah. And what's kind of, like, I don't want to have this lost in this, too. The Valley Cats still had a chance to win in the ninth. Like, they went to the bottom of the ninth, only right. down the one run. And they got uh, Lejano on. He got on with a base hit. He stole second. Then he stole third with two outs. And they had Austin Bernard up, who had a 3 0 count. And then he struck out. So, like, you had a great count as a hitter. You don't have to swing at anything at that point. You can wait on your pitch for a little bit, you know? It, and he, he took three swings that just didn't work out or he looked at three strikes, you know? He he got beat there. Like, you had a chance. You had the game-tying run 90 feet from home. 
you had a couple of really solid opportunities throughout this game that you just didn't convert on. And you can say, well, yeah, we didn't convert because they were cheating with the baseball. But, I mean, same time, though, 3-0 count, 90 feet from home. All you had to do was either draw a walk or get a base hit. Either of them would have, you know, extend the game at the very least. Hell, with two outs and runners on the corners, I don't know how fast Bernard is, but if he has moderate speed, you could probably send him. Because, I mean, like, you move that runner into scoring position, it's pretty good. If you do it right, if it's not a good throw, Lejano could be going at the same time if you pull that off good. And then you have a tie game if he scores. Obviously, we don't get the guy at second. But a poor throw, then all of a sudden, it's a much different game. Like, maybe you don't want to take that risk, but that's a risky play you could do. Or you could just pinch run for Bernard. So that way, whoever's up next in the lineup, they hit something down. You could be in a wildly different ball game. Like, there was opportunities to win this game, and you just didn't convert on any of them. Because I'm I'm going in on this ninth inning one, but there's one later on after the sixth where they had... A couple men on with like one or two outs and they just didn't do anything with that. They were getting chances. They just weren't converting. So at the same point, it's like I have some sympathy for you if you think they were cheating and nothing was done about it. But at the same point in time, they checked them. They didn't find anything. And then you had chances later on that you just didn't convert on. So at a certain point, you know, it becomes a failure on your part. And Pete kind of says that earlier on. Like, yeah, we got to do these all, all these things. We got to win games. And, you know, it is what it is. And then he just wants to draw attention to what he thinks is an issue. But at the same time, it's like, well, we really got to emphasize that first part. You got to take advantage of these chances because you didn't do that for like all of May and half of June. And that kind of come back to haunt you now. And also, you know, it's kind of funny thinking that one of the six teams that, or I guess five teams, because Windy City lost twice, one of like the five teams that lost to Empire State, uh, that loss could kind of come back and haunt them now. Totally, it totally could, right? And uh, I, I think that's the overall point is here is they had they had many opportunities to uh, not even just this game, but earlier in the season, and they they have nobody to blame but themselves for the position that they're in right now. And uh, it doesn't just all come down to the ninth inning when you get shut out for the first eight. So uh, so that's that's just the thing. It's uh, it's hard it's hard to pin it on the ninth inning. And yeah, no, they weren't shutting you out just because they were. Even if they were using like let's let's say they were, for example, using like pine tar or whatever, uh, messing with the baseballs. I I still don't know if that excuse is being shut out. But yeah. you know, I I think that uh, it's um. I, at the end of the day, they had their opportunities. They didn't get it done, and that's why they're in the position that they're in right now. Yeah, absolutely. There. So, uh, last bit of Frontier League talk before we move on to all the other leagues. We do have a lot to cover uh, this week. It's just we had the uh, <clears throat> postseason awards, not postseason awards, but postseason as an end of regular season awards to hand out. We'll just kind of run through all of them real quick, uh, maybe discuss some of the more major ones and kind of go from there. Uh, most valuable player award goes to Brantley Bell of those Tri-City Valley Cats. Fantastic year, including a very long, I believe it exceeded 30 game, uh, on base or hit streak. So extremely impressive there. Pitcher of the year, very little surprise here. Miguel Cienfuegas from Quebec, sub two ERA. Uh, rookie of the year goes to Kobe Foster of the Washington Wild Things. 
Citizen of the Year goes to Kenny Williams of the Ottawa Titans, Manager of the Year, Tom Vaith of the Washington Wild Things, Coach of the Year, Robert Carson of the Quebec Capitals. Organization of the Year is the Washington Wild Things, Executive of the Year, uh, Charles Demiers from the Quebec Capitals, Athletic Trainer of the Year, Mandy Flagg of the Evansville Otters, Broadcaster of the Year goes to Tim Calderwood of the Schaumburg Boomers, Clubby of the Year, Cameron Ellison of the Evansville Otters, Writer of the Year, Carl Tardiff, uh, I believe that's going to be pronounced La Solide, uh, Quebec-based, as you could probably guess from then my butchering of the publication he belongs to. Uh, Umpire of the Year, Michael Leary. And then Wintrust Field wins Field of the Year. Uh, the All-Star Team for, or I guess All-Frontier League Team for end of season is at first base, Dalton Combs, New Jersey. Second plate, second base, Brantley Bell, Tri-City. Third base, Briley Ware of Joliet Slammers. Uh, shortstop, Nick Ward, Washington. Catcher Jeffrey Parra, Quebec. Uh, the three outfield spots will be Josh Rewalt of New Jersey, David Vinsky of New York, and LP Peltier of uh, Three Rivers. Uh, DH position, which isn't real, but it's still here. Dennis Phipps, Tri-City. Uh, starting pitcher Miguel Cienfuegos, Quebec. And then reliever of the year, Logan Sawyer, uh, Evansville. Those are all your awards and your postseason All-Stars. Yeah, I think there weren't a ton of surprises here. Uh, I mean, of course, with the MVP, Brantley Bell. Uh, I mean, Bell just was just unbelievable. I mean, his stats are just mind-boggling and off the charts. So, uh, not a big surprise. Uh, not a big surprise there, especially I think when you look at like other comparable offensive numbers, you look at a guy like Phipps. I think just as a designated hitter, he gets dinged a little bit, mm-hmm. um, and also. Uh, just the uh, being, you know, I mean, he also, he also hit 300 for a lot more power, but, uh, but compared to Bell hitting nearly 370, that's kind of tough. The one thing that I, I guess I would slightly disagree with, uh, is that I probably wouldn't have gone, uh, with, with Vase, uh, for manager of the year. Mm-hmm. I think that, uh, I also think that they also had a, uh, kind of an easier road, uh, yeah. to get, where they uh to get where they are i wouldn't have gone with them i probably would have gone with a scalabrini for quebec nitpicky not a huge deal but i think that uh i just i think they had a tougher division of course they essentially had they i mean obviously last year they didn't have a team well kind of did but not really so So I think that uh, that shows, and not to say that Quebec should have sweeped every single like organizational award, but I think that I uh, that Scalabrini in particular deserved Manager of the Year over Vate. That's just my opinion, but I think that's the only one I would really have an issue with. But I think the rest of them they did a pretty good job. Yeah, as far as uh, I'm just going to touch on Bell's stats for a minute, which got him there through 90 games played, he's batting 371. 24 home runs, 80 RBIs, 90 runs scored, 32 stolen bases. Uh, pretty much when you look at everything from plate appearances through um, through total bases, he's in the top 10 save triples. He's only got three of those, which, I mean, even still is, is not insignificant. I uh, pretty much, when you look at all the important things on base percentage, he's second in the league. Slugging, he's second in the league. You know, he, he makes... 
all the boxes. He checks them all. So uh, don't disagree at all there. He's one of the guys that kind of put out there. It's like, oh, he could very well be a, uh, a candidate for uh, from MVP. I also kind of looked at the candidates for manager of the year. Scalabrini was certainly on my list. Vaith was also there because second best record in the league. He's got to be. For me, I kind of preferred going with someone that wasn't maybe like one of the best in the league. I understand, especially with baseball, you have much more of an effect on the game itself. But I kind of leaned towards Bobby Brown or TJ Stanton, in my opinion. Uh, I liked Cam Roth, too. But at the end of the day, I kind of viewed it as, oh, well, your team's not even in the postseason yet. If he got him there, I'd be much more receptive to it. But the East is tougher. I like both New York and Ottawa, and I grasp they're not clinched in yet, but only two teams were clinched in when we had this announced, so I don't, or, well, three technically, Schomburg, but, you know, you can't really hold that against somebody too much. Somewhat, but not too much. When you look at the Boulders and the Titans, they both have, what, they're tied for the third best record in the league as of right now, yeah. with 54 wins, and clearly... The turnaround on the boulders from being kind of perennial fourth 50 winning percentage team. They're good enough to not be written off until the last two weeks or so of the season, but they're never really blowing you away. They haven't done that in quite some time. They've kind of turned that around completely this year. And I understand a nine game winning streak is a large portion of why that is. And if not for this nine game winning streak, you were to remove those nine games from the slate, they're in a much, much different boat. And they are probably not even a 500. Well, no, they are still above 500, but they're not really in contention here. If this, if they're in this nine game winning streak instead, like five and four, you know, their, their path to the postseason is much, much different and probably non-existent. I get that entirely, but still, even with that aside, they still would have had the best season they had in quite some time. They turned it around. They look like a very solid ball club. They did a great job. Roster construction straight through the year and have really done a great job. On the flip side with Ottawa, my, my leaning for Brown was in the camp of he's building a brand new team. It wasn't supposed to even be him leading this team until, what was it, January, I believe, is when the switch got made out uh, and he got brought in and Brooke wound up leaving to go to uh, Gateway. So, you know, it's kind of short notice. You build a team. I know uh, Bobby's managed, Bobby Brown that has, has managed in the American Association before, mainly with Lincoln. Uh, but, you know, it's different going to the Frontier League. It's a different set of rules. It's a different type of player getting in. And overall, he's done a very good job. It's kind of slagged in the middle a bit. There's a really strong start. Looks like it's going to be a really strong end in the middle. It kind of lagged off of it, but even still, when you have to build a roster from scratch and you have to get them into Canada, you have to work with all of that. Any sort of restrictions or difficulties that come with that, I think that kind of warranted more consideration. I probably would have said uh, Brown deserved it more. I probably would have went, you know, maybe Brown, Stanton, and then Vaith with Scalabrini in the four, but. Vaith and Scalabrini, in my mind, are kind of basically the same. The records are basically the same. They both have, you know, winning histories. Maybe I give Scalabrini the edge because, like you said, Will, it is a tougher division and you are dealing with a Canada factor, but getting people to Quebec has never really been too much of an issue. Yeah, I think the the one thing that, and maybe I think why Brown or uh, Stanton didn't get as much consideration, I almost wonder when these votes were cast. Yeah, just because. That's true. Uh, I mean, when you never know. Like, could these votes have been in a week ago? 
right? Which yeah. is very different. Uh, when, when you're looking at the standings and yeah, like, uh, you're looking at a team like Ottawa and New York now who are most, who are almost certainly playoff teams. Uh, but I don't know when the votes were cast. I'm not sure what, what the standings were. So I think that could be a reason, uh, could be a reason why, but I, I th- certainly think that, uh, your, uh, your case in particular for, for Brown is, is well taken as well. And I think, I wonder if, I, I feel like they didn't need to do these awards like now. Like, yeah. why, why do they need to do them now? Yeah. Like, I, I thought they were going to come out a little bit later on in the year. Personally, that said, I mean, like, fine, they can come out now. The one of the other ones I, I kind of half jokingly have an issue with, but at the same time, it's only like half jokingly. I will kind of like, I understand Sawyer had a fantastic year. I'm not going to discredit him, but you, we all know the guy I'm going to be stumping for. I'm going to be stumping for my guy, oh, like Hawk McGill. You know, like he should be getting that. He has to. I mean, like the law firm. Yeah, the law firm is fa- first off fantastic for that alone, but. When you actually start looking at his numbers, he was a solid pitcher this year. That's the thing. Like, you want to look at him. He threw 50 innings and had a 180 ERA. He only allowed 47 hits, only 10 earned runs, walked only 20 in 50 innings, and he struck out 35. Like, yeah. the dude was pretty solid. He had, like, one rough patch of the year and then was just dominant all the way through. So, like, I half jokingly go, oh, he should have got it. But then I'm like, eh, it's only half a joke. He was legit a good pitcher this year. So I would like to see that. Uh, but I mean, outside of that, I like, again, I'm not going to take it away from Sawyer. I just want to check his stats real quick because I know he had a great year. And I mean, he's a realistically an Atlantic League caliber pitcher yeah. and he's pitching yeah, he in Evansville. Exactly. That's what I'm saying he was. Uh, so. and I mean, like, here's the thing. And I get it. He, well, that, you know, all of a sudden my argument looks a lot worse because he had a zero ERA. So <laughs> when you have a zero ERA, I mean, I, now I kind of look like an ass. I'm not going to lie. And 39 year, like the only thing so I'm going to say, yeah, the only thing I will say is Cochran Girl pitched 50 innings. Sawyer only pitched 29 and a third. That's the only thing I'm going to say there. There's a, there's a decent argument to be had for that, I think. Yeah. Plus the Valley Cats were getting like Empire State more often. They were also getting Quebec. They were getting Rockland. They were getting Sussex. They were getting some very good teams in there more. So I would argue they had tougher competition. Like, you know, again, zero ERA is a hard argument to kind of, you know, best. But at the same time, I just feel like I, I would have went Trey Cochran go solely for innings pitched and level of competition against. But I'm not too upset when a guy with the zero ERA uh, and, you know, appeared in 30 games and got 22 saves, goes out there and uh, gets it. Although he does have a loss, interesting enough. You know, Sawyer has a loss. That's kind of just yeah. interesting. Yeah. I mean, I also just, I mean, the co- for the uh, the law firm agenda, I, I mean, think. Exactly. I mean, that's it, too. I mean, like, if I really want to start going hard, I'd start going into the Tim McCaffrey agenda, but we're not we're not ready for that yet. The world is not no, ready. No, people aren't ready for that. Yeah. But what they are ready for is for us to switch topics here because we have been on the Frontier League for a while. But there was a lot to do in the Frontier League this week. I will say that. It was a very oh, yeah. busy week over there. Uh, so we'll get the American Association and possibly the Pioneer League out of the way real quick because we do have more serious topics to discuss in the Atlantic League. So that this is fitting to end on them. Uh, American Association, we do have some playoff discussion, but they also started doing something that we mentioned on the show would be very cool to do. We mentioned a while back here, which would be essentially red zone for baseball. 
And they've pretty much done that with this thing called high leverage. So what it is is, uh, and this has happened twice now, once tonight, Friday night, and then a couple days back, Tuesday night, uh, Carter Wadeel, the kind of the chief, I guess, video guy, video content guy for the American Association. Uh, he has one live stream, 6.45 Tuesday nights, and they jump around between games. They go from the action that's happening pretty much at the full counts. They go here. Bases are loaded here. Runners in scoring position, they go over to here. If it's bottom of the ninth, they go over to here. You know, games that matter a lot more are going to be seen more. Sioux Falls, Lincoln game may not get the same kind of coverage that a, you know, uh, Fargo-Moorhead Kansas City game would get. You know, it's just a very... It's a very cool thing. And the kind of thing that we said, like, you know, somebody should do this. It'd be very cool. And so they do it. And the best part is it's a free live stream. What a great way to grow the game, the kind of grow the brand of the American Association than, than to do all that for free. Um, and, and like the whole red zone idea is, is, is a great idea, especially for the American Association, especially for the last like, part of the year i don't think it's something you want to like overdo during such a long baseball season mm. though like i don't think it's something you'd want to do like every night um then i think it could get it could get a little overkill but i think it, it was a really good idea i mean the american association is always on the cutting edge of of a lot of this uh and they did it again with this and i think that it, it's a it's a really cool idea especially as like the season is winding down uh it's a great idea and especially making it free trying to reach new fans as well and that's something the american association uh historically has done uh done very very well and they've done it and they're doing it again yeah and i also just want to toss credit where credit's due the uh, pioneer league show the one that we covered a while back you know has tom brenneman uh, uh joe list all of those guys on it they do that too similarly but i'm not necessarily certain because they do a lot of the more manning casting where the game's on but they're also interviewing people this seems to be more heavily focused on the games itself so i think it is slightly different even though they're both free they both do similar things they are still somewhat different that said though i i do agree i think you could probably overdo it a bit but doing these, like, I even be down for, like, once a week in season. I think that'd be yeah. fine. Maybe wait until, like, the all-star break so that way you have some more stakes in there. Or do them, like, the, for bigger moments of the year, like, opening weekend and then right around the all-star break. Cause they did a, a, a thing with Baseball America too for their all-star game as well. And, then, you know, right around playoff rush. You could do them during periods of the season, one a week during the season, you know, a couple times a month, whatever it would be. I do agree. Overdoing it may kind of make it look like, you know, more gimmicky. But overall, I do like it. It is a great way, and you're a spot on. It grows the brand, and, you know, it's it's a lot more enjoyable. Sometimes I know I'm flicking around games, and honestly, none of them are really close. Like, they're been times where we had some blowout games and like yeah, i don't really want to watch any of them but i also don't want to jump around to see what's happening that would be perfect for it i i really do like that idea and i mean you got to give the american association this much they are always doing something and normally it works out pretty well or it's neutral and they really don't do bad headlines all too much there's no, some not at all I mean, no, I mean, unlike some other leagues, but, yeah. uh, but yeah, no, they, they always seem to do it right and are on the cutting edge of, of a lot of these developments. So yeah, yeah. big shout out to them. They're doing it again. 
Yep. Although apparently there is some uh, some beef going on in Chicago related to one of their deadline trades, but uh, I need to look into that a bit more before I go any further into that. But there is some beef there. Uh, accusations of snakes being thrown around, but uh, regardless Ooh, of that, snakes. yeah, uh, maybe Kevin Durant's moved into uh, Chicago, but we don't know. Mm. But, next chapter. <laughs> next chapter. Next volume. Kevin Durant. That's stuff. right. It's a volume now because he's got tomes. Uh, but talking more about playoffs, we have pretty much all the playoff teams set. There is but one spot remaining. That is the fourth spot in the West. Uh, Lincoln's still alive. They've won five in a row. However, that said, uh, the Sioux Falls or Sioux City Explorers, Sioux Falls Canaries have lost nine in a row. They've been long since dead. But the Sioux City Explorers have battled back to 500 on the season. They have a huge series coming up they win two they're in they prevent lincoln from uh you know matching their record and they'll be in the postseason two wins they're in lincoln they're gonna need some help they need to make sure sioux city does not win two games and that they keep winning so that's gonna be an interesting situation there as far as jockeying for positions it looks like winnipeg is gonna wind up playing the two seed assuming harbors the one in the west decides to take on either Sioux City or Lincoln. Uh, I say whoever because we have a huge series this weekend, which would be the Fargo-Moorhead Redhawks taking on the Kansas City Monarchs to end their season. Four games against the Monarchs. And uh, the Monarchs are winners of eight in a row, eight of their last ten as well. They're flaming hot, 62-34. and 34. The Redhawks hold a one-game advantage, 63-33 and 33 at the moment over these Monarchs there. They're playing 500 baseball as of late, so it's a huge series this Labor Day weekend between the two to determine who's going to get to pick their opponent and who's going to wind up going to Winnipeg. So it is a, a very, very fun finish in the west over in the east all four teams have been decided gary's out of playoff contention like country's out of playoff contention we've known this for some time uh where it's really just shuffling deck chairs the railroaders are pretty much locked in at the four they i don't believe they can exceed uh 50 wins and the teams above them all are at 51 wins king county milwaukee are both two games back of the dogs for that first place spot in the east with four games left so it's not impossible that one of them wins this division uh and frankly you could even say king county's got the best odds seven and three in their last 10 milwaukee's only five and five and chicago's four and six in their last 10 uh they broke a losing streak last night after beating uh the milkmen kind of crushed them i believe it's either 10-1 or 12-1 a decisive victory in either case but uh, yeah the east is arguably now more interesting because we're gonna have some real jockeying going on here yeah, we really are, and I think uh, I think that it's just you see so in the East, especially like I mean, really for the most part, I mean, we've seen just a lot of a lot of mediocre play for a while now. Yeah. I mean, Cleburne, Cleburne's, uh, they're I don't think they're going to be an easy out for whoever. Uh, assuming I mean, if the dogs likely win this division, I don't, and the dogs choose Cleburne, I don't think that's an easy series. I really don't. I think that. Uh, Cleburne at this point, um, and they are, they've played pretty, they've played very good baseball for quite a while now. 
Uh, and even though their overall record might not reflect that, uh, I think there's, there's, there's a lot to be said there. So I think that's going to be really interesting. But I mean, this Fargo Moorhead Kansas City series, I mean, this, this is, this is what you, this is what you watch American Association baseball for. Uh, just that, and you hope that this won't be the last time that these two teams play either. Uh, but uh, so much on the line. I mean, the Monarchs, uh, th- this is probably, I think we were at a point probably about a week ago where it wasn't, uh, we were kind of like, all right, well, Fargo Moore is going to take the one, Kansas City's going to, we'll take the two, uh, and maybe that series doesn't have a whole lot of relevance at the end. Well, the Monarchs has, have made sure that's not the case. I mean, you yeah. mentioned uh, winners of eight straight. Uh, so it's going to be an unbelievable series between these two Titans um, to end the season in the West Division. Who's going to pick your opponent? Uh for, of course, for one, and also who's going to get home field advantage if they were to match up? Uh, who's go- who gets uh, home field advantage throughout the uh, throughout the postseason? It's it's a big deal, especially with, especially with all the travel in the American Association as well. So uh, it's it's a huge series uh, between these two teams. Can't wait to, to can't wait to check it out because it's it's going to be awesome. It really is kind of an appetizer for for what we hope is going to be a main course coming. But I do I want to ask. If you got your pick, let's say you're the one seat, west or east, are you more afraid of playing Cleburne or presumably it's going to be Sioux City? I don't think Lincoln's going to quite get in there, but, you know, Lincoln or Sioux City, Lincoln would have to get very hot to get in. So either way, you're dealing with a hot team. Which team kind of spooks you more? Um, It's a good question. I think I'd probably say Sioux City. Um, mm-hmm. given, the two, given the two, I just think that even though Cleburne's been been good for a little bit now. I mean, Sioux City was was quite bad for a while, and they had to they had to totally claw their way out. I don't know the exact numbers. I'd have to imagine uh, after their star, they must be they um, they might be a ten uh, like a ten game over five hundred team uh, for for whatever stretch that is. I mean, so Sioux City, I would probably say I would I'd probably lean towards them. Uh, in that, but I mean, I think both teams are, I mean, admittedly, like I was very anti this playoff system, but you know what? I, I think that you're getting two hot teams in there and they're not teams that are kind of just like backing in. Uh, but I think that the thing also to watch out is mean, I mean, Sioux City's lineup is pretty good as well. Uh, and I mean, and, and their pitching's all right. It's not, it's not horrible, but, uh, I think, it, it could be an, an interesting uh, interesting series really again I mean either Cleburne or Sioux City I think would be uh, teams that you can't you can't really sleep on but given the two I'd probably be more nervous about playing Sioux City however that that being said I think it's a lot different just given that you're going to either have Fargo Moorhead slash Kansas city playing them. Yeah. And if it were say the dogs in that position, then I think we'd be having a different conversation now, which is more likely for an upset, just given the realistic and given what matchup will happen between the dogs and Cleburne. I think Cleburne's most likely to actually get the upset, even though I think Sioux city's the better team and would make me more nervous. But then again, Sioux city's got to play Fargo Moorhead or Kansas city. Okay. Now let's just say for the sake of argument, Dogs win this division. They finish against Kane County, though, so that's not really necessarily a gift. I mean, Kane wins that series. They go ahead, you know, 
they take everything. And Milwaukee, for those wanting plays Gary. So it's not like this is locked up by any stretch. You have the division leader playing the third place team and the second place team playing the fifth place team. That's 16 games under 500 and frankly not playing good baseball as of right now. So far from locked up, but let's just say things stay as they are right now. If you're Chicago, you're absolutely taking Cleburne, or is there a scenario where you say, we just beat it, it was a rough series against Milwaukee, but we finished on a high note, maybe we go with them, plus travel will be in our favor there, or travel could really work in our favor if we go Kane County, and let's say they win the series against them, let's say they go 3-1 and one against them. Do you feel like, okay, we know what they got, we saw just about everything there, we feel comfortable picking them and playing them, or is it just you absolutely take the team that's going to be 500 or worse? I think you try not to overcomplicate it, and I think you would still choose Cleburne in that sense. Um, I, I can understand why, like especially uh, you, you mentioned about the travel end of it, but I think that I, I would still probably play the numbers. I would still go with I would still go with Cleburne. I, I wouldn't try to overcomplicate it. Um, and not to say there was, there was like a smaller difference. I think you could maybe, you could maybe see that being a different decision, but I think given, given it now, I, I would still probably, uh, choose Cleburne, try not to overcomplicate the decision. All right. So there's no real possible outcome from this week and that would maybe change your mind on it. Probably not. No. Okay. So not even like a sweep of the Cougars would do that. Um, four game sweep here probably not okay because like for me i feel like if you go three and one against the cougars that's enough for me to say you know we're gonna roll the dice on it just because keep my cleveland's playing lake country i mean that should be it should be a layup i mean like come on you're playing what be the worst team or second worst team in the league this week you got them at home you've already played them twice and won both games against them it's not illogical to think that you could go ahead and win another three or four against them to make it like a couple game difference if you sweep a team i feel like you feel confident enough to go in there you know in the west i mean like i'm not going to blame anyone for saying no matter what you take the fourth place team because i mean you're obviously not picking the second place team if you're fargo or kansas city you're not picking the team you just battled four games against even if you sweep them because that'd be hilarious wouldn't it it would be it really would be genuinely hilarious but uh, it'd be also, you know, a great way to end your season early too, you know, but, and then you're probably not going to take Winnipeg. I understand Winnipeg is, you know, actually a game worse than Kane County and Milwaukee, which is kind of weird. Like we've hyped up the gold eyes so much as of recent that you'd think they're like leaps and bounds better, but they're on a five game losing streak right now. They've just kind of slid under the radar like this, but I still wouldn't pick them like, the only way I take Winnipeg over whatever team gets in would be, you know, if like, if, if Lincoln got in, I would say that solely because Lincoln's won five in a row and being real, they're going to have to win out against Sioux City to get it. So it is a back and forth here. They're in a situation where winner of this series is probably going to the postseason. Well, not probably. They're, they will. So, you know, if Lincoln gets in like that, that probably means they've won seven in a row or something stupid like that. You know, seven of eight, eight of nine, something like that. That's a hot team that scares me. If the gold eyes kind of stay cold, 
against the worst team in this league. They're playing the, the uh, Canaries this week. I'm sorry. I'm taking that team. If you're dropping games to a team that's lost nine in a row, only have one win in their last ten, and very well could you know finish the year on a double-digit losing streak, uh, I feel good in my my odds against you in a three-game series. I'd probably agree with that. Yeah, I think if you're if you're already slumping and then you lose to a team who's already lost nine in a row going in, then I think that's I think that's a different discussion. And I would go with I'd go with I'd pick Winnipeg if that if that were to be the case. Yeah. So on that note, we will see how that shakes out. And I believe the selections come out on Tuesday. It's either Monday or Tuesday. Playoffs start Wednesday. So yeah, it's gonna have to be one of those. So we will wait. We will see how that goes. And on that note. We will just quickly say Pioneer League's nearly wrapped up. Grand Junction clinched the playoff spot. Azula's in the playoffs, and I believe Octon is in. Also, they have one spot left. If this works at all, like how the Atlantic League works, it is going to either be Billings or Great Falls as we wrap up on this season uh, over there. I think they got five games or so left. They don't have many, five to ten left. So a lot could still happen. It looks like it's going to be kind of tight. About two games separate Idaho Falls from Billings. I think that's how this wild card works. I'm pretty certain it works the same way as the Atlantic League. And if that's the case, then there's three teams competing for it. More on that next week. I know we do this every week, but we're already running pretty long this week. And we actually have legit Atlantic League news that we have to discuss. Before we move on quickly, any uh, comments on the Pioneer League? I mean... I don't know. I, I'm still expecting Missoula to come out on top because they're really good. Yeah. And, you know, about all I have to say about that. Yeah. I mean, Missoula's probably going to win this league. I mean, they have one of the best winning percentages in all of professional baseball. So, you know, they're kind of leaps and bounds better than they could probably hang in the frontier league for being honest with ourselves. But, you know, uh, that said, we do have to talk about the Atlantic League. <laughs> Hey guys, it's just me, Nick. Just jumping in real quick here before you listen to this next segment. It's all about the the text thread that you may or may not have seen uh, about Lexington and the the shooting there uh, about a week ago. Uh, so what we mainly discuss is a letter or resignation letter, rather, that Ryan got a hold of Ryan being uh, Ryan from ALPP Roundup and it lays out uh, a litany of different uh, things and reasons and the quotes and it seemed pretty damning uh, before we get into that though I just want to kind of throw out one disclaimer here which I'm sure we mentioned in the segment but I wasn't 100% certain so I just want to be plain and obvious about it as of right now we're under the assumption that the letter is legitimate that it is you know uh that it's more than just alleged. You know, we don't know that for certain. So right now, everything's under alleged to have happened. It's not definite. There is no, uh, you know, ruling one way or the other, I guess, in a legal sense on it. It's just straight up. Uh, and we speak about it as though they were true because we trust Ryan's reporting to be right, which I'm sure it is it's quality because it's always quality but i do just want to point out that as of right now everything remains under alleged and uh not reporting as fact but we're speaking about the 
about somebody else's reporting. We're not reporting it ourselves here, and we're talking under the assumption that it is true. We don't know that for certain yet. I just want to kind of throw that little uh, disclaimer in there. Uh, of course, uh, if it winds up becoming proven true, we'll go in depth on it again. If it winds up being disproven, then we'll go in depth on it uh, from that angle as well. But I do just want to throw out there again, everything at the moment is alleged and according to what has been reported so far. That That's just how it is. I just want to toss that kind of little uh, point out there to make that known. Before we go into this segment, I felt like uh, that was something that was very important to toss out there uh, as of right now, just so that way we can make it well known that it is only really uh, the small kind of more indie ball circle talking about now, even though when you look at the text thread as of about Saturday morning, when I'm recording this little, uh, I guess, uh, cut in segment, uh, it, there are other reporters from local affiliates and whatnot that were trying to get a hold of Ryan to talk to him about that as well. So, uh, it seems as though there's one of those cases where, where there's smoke, there's fire, but right now there is only smoke, no fire. If that makes sense, it is still just in the, the alleged category and the supposed, supposedly had happened category. But, you know, again, you guys know, uh, you guys know how we go. So we just wanted to toss it out there just to be extra careful, just to make it overly obvious. So on that note, I'll stop uh, with this little cut in and ruining the flow of the show and return you back to your regularly scheduled programming. And more importantly, uh, this was that off the field thing I mentioned an hour ago in the open, uh, which is... Uh, about a week ago, I believe it was Saturday morning, very early in the morning, there was an event at uh, the Legends Ballpark, and then there was a shooting outside, left seven people wounded, and it's kind of been, you know, we really weren't going to talk about it because it really didn't relate much to the team outside of it happened at their ballpark, but not Wally baseball game was happening. And it seems like, outside of being shot, of course, eh, everyone seemed to be generally okay, the team issued a statement later that day, being Saturday. Uh, full statement will link in the show notes, but the long and short of it was that as a response to um, uh, the shooting on the property in the premises, and out of respect for victims of the shooting, that they were going to cancel the doubleheader between uh, the Legends and the Genomes, which really makes it easy to reschedule because they both play at the same ballpark. And... Uh, yeah, they were going to push it back of a day till Sunday, and that's what they wound up doing. But if you follow our friend Ryan, which we've mentioned, I think, three or four consecutive weeks now on this show, but uh, if you follow his ALPB roundup, you would be well and up to date with, it took him quite some time to reach that conclusion. And as soon as, you know, later that morning, like 10, 11 o'clock, the plan was still very much to play baseball that day. This statement wasn't released until seven or until uh, two fifty one, uh, the day that this game was supposed to go off, just a mere uh, roughly hour and a half before first pitch was scheduled. So they were pretty down to the wire on it. They made the right decision in the end, of course, but they took some time to reach it. And then earlier today, being Friday morning, uh, uh, Ryan put out excerpts from. Uh, a resignation letter 
to Andy Shea, the owner of the Legends, and I suppose owner of the uh, the Genomes as well. And it relates directly to that shooting. That's why we mention it here. Uh, we're going to link, like I said, the statement. We're going to link some articles that go into more detail about the shooting and the the response that Shea gave publicly to it, uh, as well as this whole thread. It's about a 20-tweet long thread uh, with all the statements. So we won't read all of it, but the general consensus was that uh, the public-facing appearance of the organization is much different from behind the scenes. Uh, it goes into a lot of detail uh, that essentially boils down to they very much wanted to play baseball. They didn't really bring in anyone to clean up the ballpark. They had the very employees that were there while that was happening go in and try to clean it up and get it ready to play. That was the primary concern, not how the employees were handling it, not how the general consensus was feeling about this. And that while there was security there, they were, to put it roundly, incompetent at their job. You go into more and more detail and you start reading more and more on this thread and it uh, it starts to become a real damning look at an organization that I believe we all thought after year one in the Atlantic League was like, oh, this is a legitimate organization. This is a well-ran organization. This is a group that, quite frankly, could step into some of the big shoes that left when Sugarland and Somerset left. We kind of looked at this like, is this, you know, one of the good groups? And we all feel confident in that assumption. And more and more, it seems like between firing the baseball ops, the issues they've had with the field, now this and some of the other stuff that I hear, but I don't feel confident in. And really, it's, you know, Ryan would know more about it. So I'll let him take the lead on it. The more you hear, it's more like it's really not the case here. And you see some guys that we've even had on they've left the organization and you wonder like, well, why are all these guys leaving? Especially some of the ones that we talked to that were more ambitious and really look forward to building a team and having that opportunity to just up and leave out of nowhere. Seemingly it doesn't really make sense. And then when you start putting all pieces together, it's like, well, it doesn't look like it was as well ran as we once thought. It's there's definitely a lot of organizational problems. I'd love to know kind of, I guess more information about like, I guess like what the, the event being held itself, just because of what preparations needed to be had that didn't have, uh, I mean the fact, the, the, the part of this that is just insane and crazy is the, the whole thing to me afterwards, right? Yeah. Because, uh, just the whole thing about asking the employees who were shot at, uh, or were, were there, uh, during a mass shooting to, hey, can you clean this up? We need to, uh, I mean, can you clean this up? We gotta have this game. Um, yeah. it's, to me, is just incomprehensible. It's horrible. Uh, and it's, it's damning because it shows really what, um, what the intentions and what the uh and that the people are not for uh, the people are not first and that yeah. business is first and people are not first and that is not a way to run any sort of business i don't care if it's sports not sports uh it doesn't really matter uh when the people and human beings are not first then you're doing it wrong and that's 
that's honestly what I think we've seen here. Um, and, uh, and I mean, it's just, it's just horrible from the fact that you're talking about, you're more concerned about how can we play this doubleheader today after a literal mass shooting happened at your stadium? Because at the end of the day, there's going to be time after to figure out how this happened, why this happened and whatnot. And I think, and I would still like a lot more kind of information on the preparation aspect of it. And I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't, I don't personally, I don't want to speak a whole lot on it. Cause I, I think there's, it, it's probably, um, there's probably an investigation coming and all that stuff. Uh, but I think what I can speak on is after, uh, the fact that one did show up and Shay didn't show up in person, uh, right after that and talking to an employee asking, uh, if we could get, it quote unquote cleaned up like yeah hold on like cleaned up you mean like uh, and, and of course like cleaned up as like people died right it's not that, like people with families died and you're worrying about it getting cleaned up like cleaned up so we can have a double header of a baseball game um and that's that's the part to me that is the most concerning because when people are not first in this horrible instance, it shows that this, this is not just a one-time thing when you're not prioritizing your employees or the people that are trying to make this organization and employees for that, for, I mean, as far as, uh, as far as I know, or probably literally working around the clock, because you know, you're hosting two teams in a stadium and you're playing a home game pretty much every day. Um, and it's, it's horrifying that I think we're getting details, just the utter disregard, uh, for people who experience something that, uh, that I hope to God I'll never have to experience, but, mm-hmm. uh, but it's just, just a horrible way to handle it. It's just like inhumane way to handle it. And it's just very concerning about the organization in general that uh, that we've heard too much negative negativity about uh, within really the last uh, three or four months. Yeah, I will say one thing, though. It doesn't look like anyone actually died just with seven people were wounded with gunshot wounds, uh, at least from what I can see just quickly going through, uh, okay, through yeah. the article. So I will say that much. But even still, I mean, the point remains here. I mean, even like in another article from it looks like NBC's Lexington affiliate, fans were even noticing like the security's kind of weak or rather people arriving at the ballpark before uh, the Sunday genome game said uh, security at the ballpark's weak. At one point, the one fan they quote in this article said, do I want to bring my small child out to a game here if there might be shell casings out front on the ground? And I mean, that's a, it's a compelling point. The one quote from the, from the thread that Ryan has here that kind of got me was from the employees whose letter this is, and everyone got CC on the letter. So that's kind of how this got out, uh, was my only thought when the bullet flew less than a foot from my head and the glass shattered in front of me was run for your life. Then I was hiding in a dark, disgusting dugout bathroom, praying I was going to see my kids again. Like, that is a chilling quote to have to hear. 
for working at a baseball park, you know, like for working in a ballpark where you're renting out to events like that just should not be a thing here. I mean, even another one of the quotes goes, uh, quote, the first shooter paced back and forth at least six times in a hot hoodie in 80 degree weather wearing a black ski mask. I mean, that's quite clearly an attempt to, to yeah. hide your identity there. If it's in the 80s and you're wearing a hoodie and a mask, I mean, like, it is clearly enough there. I mean, later, there was another point in here where another quote from it goes, I believe this is 8 of 20, uh, the security you hired did not do their job at all. The additional security were all drinking and not doing their job. I mean, when you have security that you hired, and they're more concerned about having a beer than doing their job. That's a major concern to me. It's clearly a, a problem that's ongoing here. And if fans are even pointing out that ballpark security is weak and you especially don't even amp it up like the day after this happens, even if logically speaking, it's not going to happen in the same place two days in a row. If for nothing else, you have to at least hire more so it looks better. And you know, not that this would make it better, but it's the two teams you own that are playing a doubleheader. It should have been a non-issue to just say, we're going to cancel it indefinitely, and then you make it up either Sunday or you make it up on Monday or later on the week. You have the luxury of these two teams play very much throughout the year. They play something stupid a crazy amount of times together. It doesn't really matter who's officially the home team and not. That doesn't matter. It's the same ballpark. It's easy enough to reschedule. I get it. It's the end of August and now beginning of September. You're running out of days to make it up here. Uh, but at the end of the day, that's all a secondary concern to the primary concern of how the people you employ and the community as a whole are responding to that. Because I know certainly I wouldn't like you're like same day have baseball games from an emotional standpoint and from an empathy standpoint, it's just a, the wrong thing to do. And even from a business perspective, it's the wrong thing to do. If your primary audience is families or just people in general, which, you know, those are the kinds of creatures that go to baseball game or people, th- who's going to say, hmm, there was a shooting where seven people were wounded last night at this ballpark. You know what I want to do less than 24 hours later? Go down to that ballpark and see a baseball game, which could still be, and probably is, an active crime scene, too. That would make me feel comfortable. Like, what yeah. in what world does this make sense to do? It's just such a, a horrible thing to do, and you'd hope that there's some sort of a mistake in all of this, and it wasn't as bad, but... I mean, I trust Ryan's reporting on it. I I have no doubt in this. It just it's such a god awful look for the team, but also for the league as a whole. The Atlantic League's had a lot of bad press as of late. They need good press. They've had some good stories, you know. Bellamy owning the team is in in uh, Gastonia is good. Whitmore is good. There's some other more positive, you know, pop up stories here. But it just seems like whenever we have to talk about things that aren't directly baseball related, on the field baseball related, talking about rosters and things like that, if we're talking about the Atlantic League outside of those contexts, it seems like it's seldom ever good anymore, right? Like, really what I wanted to do was not have to talk about any of this because I really didn't want to have to do this. 
I would have rather talked about how Connor Law got dealt and how the uh, the Honey Hunters really geared up for a playoff run by picking up Soltar and a couple other guys. I wanted to talk about that in a wild card race that has, you know, the genomes involved in it. They're out a game or two back of high point at this moment. I wanted to talk about on the field stuff. But instead, we have to talk about this because, I mean, there's no way around talking about this. You have to directly talk about it. And it it, it really sucks to have to keep doing things which are just frankly bad for the leagues because like we want to help the leagues, we want to help the players and whatnot, but you can't ignore when there's just a severe, it's a severe mistake, misstep, whatever you want to call it, when there's just such a god-awful handling of a situation like this in what should be a pretty common sense way. And I don't know what their books look like or anything like that, but there comes a point in time where, you know, a decision you don't want to have to make is the only decision to make. And that was just not playing baseball that day and instead bumping it to later in the week. And instead, now this has come out. And it's just, it's terrible to see on every level. And at this point, I'm just repeating myself, but the sentiment's going to remain the same no matter what. Yeah, I mean, it's it's... It's horrible that we have to continue to talk about these, uh, these, these bad result, these bad, uh, press stories in the Atlantic League and in general and it's, and this, and the Lexington organization in general, right? It's, we've heard it's not just a one time thing with them either this year. And that's the thing that it's, it's hard to stomach, but yeah, it's just going back to you're not, it just doesn't appear that putting people first is the first priority. And that's the, and, at the end of the day, that's, that's the biggest issue. And that, um, and man, I mean, it's just, it's horrible that that overshadows some good stories, um, in the Atlantic League, but it does because, yeah. uh, because at the end of the day, it's the most important. And, uh, it's just a horrible, horrible look. It absolutely is. And it's, it, it just, it casts a shadow on things that really shouldn't happen. I, I guess at this point, to repeat or to avoid being redundant we'll try to talk about the second half a little bit i mean there's not really much to even talk about on the field i mean like lancaster's running away with this division they're up four games on the blue crabs but it doesn't seem like they're going to be slowing down anytime soon and even if they don't pull out the second half crown they're essentially a lock for the wild for what would become one of the wild cards at this point. So they're practically a postseason lock as we speak. Uh, really the fights between high point and wild health at this point. I mean, they're separated by what, two and a half games or so game and a half. Yeah. So it's, it's very close. Game and a half, yeah. yeah. Game and a half between the two. So you will see what happens there. Maybe Long Island can get back into it, but they're under 500 and everyone York and below is just kind of playing out the games on their, on their schedule at this point. They're, they're pretty much done. Uh, so hey, that's kind of where it stands here. I did just, I just don't really feel like going into the mood of, you know, continuing to talk about the Atlantic League right now. Hopefully, you know, that returns for next week and we get some more interesting Atlantic League discussion as the season kind of winds down and wraps up not too many games left final stretch here so we'll get some clarity sooner than later but that's kind of where we sit for uh, the atlantic league yeah i think uh and it's the only thing i'd add is you know high points playing some much better baseball of late and likely to end up in the playoffs but uh, i mean 
Atlantic League had some pretty wild games that, uh, I mean, a 17 to 16 game that Lexington yeah. won over Wild Health. I mean, York blowing a, I believe it was a 13 or a 12 1 lead or a 13, oh no, they blew a 13 to 1 lead. I mean, so, uh, some insane games themselves, but, uh, the standings themselves haven't changed a whole lot. So I guess just the thing to watch high point versus Kentucky, uh, in that wild card. And I mean, I guess Long Island could theoretically get red hot, but you know, looking at their roster, I, I don't see that happening most likely. So, yeah. uh, probably high point wild health battling for the last spot should be fun. Uh, definitely keep an eye on it. Yep. And I mean, one thing that we could take away from it too is, I mean, Lancaster and Southern Maryland are going to be a very fun series. That that certainly will be. Yeah. But Gastonian High Point, is this not the kind of series that you really want to see? Really get the rivalry going, really amp it up here. Kind of one team that came in really hot when they first started their first season. Great year for High Point. And now Gastonia in year two having that similar kind of success. And one of them is going to be in a championship game. Like Long Island not being here almost makes it a better postseason this year. You know, if for no other reason, then there's just the possibility of some really good matchups. And that, that's something to look forward to, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I think a high point Gastonia playoff series has the ability to be really fun. So. Hopefully that's what we end up getting because that could be a really good kickoff to uh, two pretty new teams that are hopefully sticking around for a while and hopefully going to have a couple battles in the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully we get to see that. But uh, at this point, we're nearly a 90-minute long show, probably the longest show we've had in a handful of weeks, probably a couple months actually. But uh, either way, I guess we'll go to the plugs and then get out of here uh, so that way you can enjoy the rest of your Labor Day weekend. Uh, if you want to follow the show, you can do so on Twitter at IndieBallPod. You can do so on Instagram at ALPB underscore news and at IndieBallReport on there as well links to everything which i'd really suggest checking out the links especially the thread we just you know mentioned in the last segment as well as uh the article from the uh, albany times union on uh the incident last night or thursday night i guess uh, as it would be uh, between the valley cats and the miners and all of the other links that we normally would have that's all in the show notes that will be on the website indieballreport.com i'll probably i'll try to remember to toss the uh the link to the thread and the albany times uh union uh article i'll try to toss that into the description of this uh episode uh, but if i do forget it's always on the website indieballreport.com uh some other stuff there as well uh that said you can also find the show on uh just about any pod Cast platform, uh, tune in Stitcher, Spotify, Podomatic, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts. Like I said, just about any of them, you'll find the show there. So if you can rate, review, and subscribe, uh, help the show grow, expose. We had a really good week last week on, uh, the Jackal, uh, episode and going through all that. So hopefully we can have another strong week and keep that momentum riding through the end of the season. So, uh, with that said, do you have anything else left to add on, uh, this episode? Well, only uh, I, I think you're probably knowing you probably know where I'm going with this, Nick. We yep. want a college football. Uh, some games have already happened. Some games are about to start. Uh, probably as you're listening to this, probably yep. some games going on. So uh, you know, very excited for Rutgers football, and um, gonna be heading up to Chestnut Hill soon. So to go see the Scarlet Knights on the road. So can't wait for that. And 
hopefully they pull off an upset on the road. All right, man. Well, be on my feelings on Rutgers, so we will leave it uh, with that. But as far as I'm concerned, I don't really have too much uh, left to add here. Uh, just kind of excited to see how the season ends on all counts. And uh, yeah, uh, that's uh, that's where we at. That's kind of where I'm at. Don't have uh, really much to add except for it appears as though my personal Instagram timeline is just filled with Harry Styles videos. Uh, people going to the garden to see oh. Harry Styles. I don't really know what the hype's worth. And I only checked the prices on Ticketmaster. So I was wondering, like, who's paying $650 per tickets? But then I started checking around. I was like, oh, you can find them for, like, $250, It's like, okay, that starts making a lot more sense. But even still, I'm, I'm wondering, uh, is it worth the hype to see Harry Styles? And I'm not going to lie. Part of me wants to buy into the hype. Spend $600 to go see Harry Styles. But at the same part, part I'm like... I don't really want to throw away $600 to see Harry Styles. That's kind of where I'm at, but I kind of want to be part of this mm-hmm. hype. It's, so that's my quandary at the moment. So we'll see how that winds up going. Yeah, I don't really get it either, but you know, some people want to pay the money. Go ahead. To be fair, you're also not a concert person either. I'm really not. Yeah, we discussed this in the past, so we'll, uh, we'll leave it at that. So. If anyone could uh, describe to me what the hype is around Harry Styles, please tweet at me and let me know what this hype is and whether or not it's worth it or not. Uh, so that that's kind of where we're at here. Um, and we'll leave it off there. So until next time, don't forget to play ball.